What a weekend of football it was, ladies and gentlemen. It feels like this season is going to be headlined by everything backwards. It kind of feels like everything is backwards right now. Uh, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, like the Ghostbusters lines. Uh, we're, we're driving on the left-hand side of the road, you know, like Europe, except this isn't Europe. We're in the U.S. of A., so we drive on the right-hand side of the road, but it feels like we're driving on the left-hand side of the road. Uh, up means down. We're, we're dotting our T's and crossing our I's. It doesn't make any sense. Are the Dolphins actually good? Question mark. Are they actually good? The Jets, they had a game-winning drive with Joe Flacco as their head, as their as their quarterback in that in that game. That was weird. Uh, the Detroit Lions might actually be somewhat de- decent with a watchable offense. First time we've seen that since Matthew Stafford and dare I say Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders. Uh, it's it's weird. Uh, football's weird right now. I I don't. It's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Okay, we're all sorts of backwards. And and confused right now, and that's kind of how it feels in the in the Jaguars. That that's another one. The Jaguars they lost to the Commanders in the first in the first week. It was a good game, but they straight up dominated the Indianapolis Colts in week two, twenty four nothing, a shutout. It was disgusting. The Colts look bad, and that makes me upset because I was kind of on the huge. I was on the, I was on the on the Colts bandwagon there for a little bit because I thought Matt Ryan was going to make that team immensely better, uh, especially with Jonathan Taylor coming back. Hopefully going to ca- uh, capitalize on the on the season he just had, which was, you know, being one of the best, the best, arguably the best rusher in the league this past season. Matt Ryan gets there. He takes a little bit of the hopefully this was the thought in the preseason. He would have taken some of the at least some of the load off of Jonathan Taylor's shoulders. But here we are. And it didn't take it didn't seem like they've taken any of the load off of Jonathan Taylor's shoulders. Matt Ryan doesn't look very good. He looks like uh, Carson Wentz 2.0 and they look bad. Uh, what's going on in football, huh? The Bengals, they look bad too. Cowboys, with Cooper Rush as their quarterback, beat the Bengals, I would say, almost thoroughly. They did almost blow the lead towards the end there. But, I mean, from the beginning till, I would say, the fourth quarter, Cowboys kind of handed or handled that game pretty much from first quarter, the start of the first quarter, towards the end of the game. But, you know, they did almost blow the lead. But regardless... It's weird. It's backwards. This is why you love football, because it's completely unpredictable. I thought the Bengals were going to look a lot better than they have been. Their offensive line looks terrible. Lyle Collins, who was their tackle that they signed in the offseason, came out in the preseason beforehand and told Joe Burrow, this was a quote that he said. I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but this is what he said. He said, your bodyguard has arrived. You don't. Nobody's going to be touching you. That has not deemed true so far. Uh. Basically, everybody has touched Joe Burrow. Everybody on the defensive line has touched Joe Burrow and been able to sack him. They have been abysmal up front on the offensive line. The Bengals look like a shell of themselves that we saw uh, towards the back half of last season that was basically, you know, slinging the ball around field and were hard to beat. They look like a second version of the Chiefs. But now, Bengals with no offensive line, uh, still all those weapons, can't seem to beat anybody. Right now, and Cowboys included, they should have rolled that team with Cooper Rush as their start as the starting quarterback for the Cowboys, but uh, it didn't happen. And you know what? Football's being weird, and it's been kind of interesting. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't know how much I love it. You know, the Lions being good, I don't, I don't love that to be honest with you. The Dolphins being good, that's weird. They haven't been good in about twenty years, give or take. So. I don't know how to feel right now about uh, about football right now. Okay, it's cool to see. It's fun. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle look like. Arguably the best one-two punch in the in the game right now, given this past week this past week's performance against the Ravens, and uh, 
Tua Tungavailoa, is he for real now all of a sudden? I mean, he gets two weapons, arguably Hill, arguably the best receiver in the game, and Jalen Waddell, who is, you know, up there with Hill in terms of athleticism and speed and stuff like that. They've completely broken the game. So now is Tua Tungavailoa all of a sudden a legit quarterback? I don't know. We're going to break down a bunch of those games, okay? We're going to break them down a little more than what I just did, okay? We're going to take we're going to take a step back. We're going to take a look, bird's eye view of what happened this past weekend. And uh, we're going to break down a bunch of football. we got college football, obviously. We're going to talk about NFL, obviously. But first, I want to give a story, okay? So this past week, many of you know, I was in... Um, London, uh, a lot of my podcast listeners know I, t- I briefed you guys all last week before I left. Um, I was in England. I was across the pond, our good neighbors across the pond in the United Kingdom. Um, helping my, I was helping my brother move in. Uh, he's studying abroad at Nor- in Norwich, England, which is basically two hours north of London by train. And I made a, cel- I made a realization while I was over there. Um, I never traveled with just my brother. I usually travel with you know my dad. Uh, or something like that, my mom, or whatever, um, to different places like that, somewhere that's not uh, for a foreign place like that. I usually travel with, you know, my mom or my dad or something like that. Um, I'd never done it with just my brother. And I made a realization while I was over there. I was able to, I, we landed in Heathrow, uh, London Heathrow on Wednesday, I think that's right. Uh, Wednesday morning, um, left Tuesday night, landed in Heathrow Wednesday morning, and I was able to go from London Heathrow to Norwich, two hours. It took about two hours to get there, give or take, basically three hours. Um, The train to get there was two hours. But I was able to go from London to Norwich to the campus that my brother is learning abroad at, uh, University of East Anglia is what it's called, without having to necessarily ask for directions or anything like that, strictly because of Google Maps. I think Google Maps is arguably the greatest invention that humankind has come up with. And you can argue the iPhone or not necessarily the iPhone, the smartphone, I guess is what you could say. You could argue the smartphone, the motorized vehicle. Sure. I'll give you that. You know, I'm not going to argue with you and argue with you with any of those inventions, but Google maps has taken the ability, the, the, the awful task of opening up the glove box and looking through a map. Can you, I can't imagine traveling before Google maps, to be honest with you, anybody that loathes, that's one of my biggest pet peeves for people, to be honest with you is loathing, you know, the back in the good old days, like the the quote unquote back in the good old days type people. Even I do it, but I try to do it facetiously, like self-aware that this is annoying. Like people that don't understand the people that do that understand something. Okay. That is annoying. That is annoying. We are unquestionably, in terms of technology, unquestionably in the greatest time of our lives in terms of technology, okay? Smartphones, computers, they have never been better. They are going to get better, obviously, but they're never better than they are right now. So anybody that loathes that is incorrect, blatantly incorrect. Uh, Google Maps was able to take me from London Heathrow on public transit, show me which train I needed to get on, which bus I needed to get on when I got to Norwich that got me to my hotel room faster than any map would ever have taken me to get there. It would have taken me days to figure out. I mean, I can read a map for the most part, I would say. Like I can look at Google Maps without, you know, my point A to point B indicators and kind of figure out uh, where I need to go and how to get there. Um, But the ease of access that Google Maps gives you To get there from point A to point B in the shortest amount of time possible is incredible. I think it is one of, like I said, one of the greatest human inventions 
of our time. Um, but, you know, I won't argue with anything, you know, your cars, of course, that's one of the great inventions of all time. Even trains, trains, one of the great inventions of all time. Uh, smartphones, phones in general, one of the greatest inventions of all time. I won't argue any of that, but Google Maps, I mean, just, you know, the simplification of our map system, I think, has to be one of the great inventions of all time because it has made traveling so much easier. And I think all of our traveling people can agree with that. I mean, you know, we're not using MapQuest anymore, obviously. You're not printing out the directions on a piece of paper. Even then, we've advanced further than that in like 10 years. Uh, So I think even our, our avid travelers that are listening, I would like to hear your opinion, obviously, but I think just the ease of access that that has created is incredible. And I think it deserves to be up there with one of the great inventions. So that was my realization while I was over there. It was a short trip, got back on Friday night, got back into Sheridan Friday night. So I got in Wednesday, spent Thursday there and then got back Friday night. Um, it was a long day on Friday. I had to take a, instead of taking the train back to London from Norwich, which is usually two hours, their train system was down. So I had to take a three hour cab ride, which Thankfully, Greater Anglia Transit System, I don't know what their official name is, but uh, Greater Anglia, they were able to, they comped the taxi ride. So big shout out to them. They're not listening to this, but if they are, big shout out to them um, for comping that ride because it was going to be expensive. Let me tell you, it would have been like $250. Um, So big shout out to them. Thank you for comping that. And uh, it was a nice, you know, drive across the countryside. It was a little early for me, I'll be honest with you. It was about 7 a.m. England time, which would have been like 1 a.m. over here. And uh, I was I was dozing off. I was pretty tired, um, but I was able to get back. I made my flight on time. I wouldn't have made my flight on time if I hadn't, uh, you know, asked, hey, this train's down. How do I get there from here? Granted, uh, OK, that is a, a slight on Google Maps. It didn't update, obviously, because the train was down, but I was able to ask around and the guy that comped the taxi. So a big shout out to them. A big thank you. And the trip all in all, it was a good time. I missed a little bit of football. I missed Thursday night football because of it. Um, that game was on basically one, like I said, basically 1 a.m. Uh, over in not actually later than that, probably closer to like two to three a.m. over in England. So I didn't get to watch the Chiefs Chargers game, um, but I I know that was a good game. I wish I would have seen it. Justin Herbert threw another pick six in the fourth quarter. That's you know that's something he's got to work on. But he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league uh, without a doubt. Patrick Mahomes though he continues to tear up the league, and uh, it feels like we'll get into this a little bit later. But it feels like. A uh, basically a two team race, not in just the AFC, but basically in the league right now between the Bills and the and the Chiefs. Those two teams feel like far and away the best teams in the league right now. It feels like they are on a collision course for either the AFC divisional or the AFC championship. It feels like they're kind of on a collision course for that, and it doesn't feel like anybody really is going to get in their way. But we've we've been wrong about that before. Just last year, the Chiefs met the Bengals in the AFC championship. Now, granted, the Bills and the Chiefs met in the AFC Divisional, and um, you kind of had to have a winner out of that, obviously. But if they would have met in the AFC Championship, I wouldn't have been surprised there either. But regardless, I mean, Bengals beat the Chiefs last year. Who knows if that was met, if that was in the Divisional round instead of the AFC Championship game, if the how that would have gone. Um, but it, like I said, it's a two-team race, it feels like. And we're two weeks in, you know, a lot of stuff could change from here on out. But two weeks in, it feels like it's a two-team race. Uh, not only in the AFC, but in the NFL right now to get to the uh, to the big game, if you will. Now, the NFC needs a winner, and that feels like it's probably the Buccaneers, I would say. Um, I, it doesn't feel like the Eagles have looked. They looked really good on Monday. Uh, they looked relatively good, and they let the Lions kind of catch them in week one, a little, almost catch them in week one. 
Um, their defense let up a little bit of a question mark there in week one, but in week two, they were outstanding. Jalen Hurts looks like the real deal after two weeks. Um, so two-team race, I would say, in the NFL right now. NFC is a big question mark. We'll see who comes out of the NFC. We are two weeks in, like I said. Anything could change. We're going to talk a little college football first. We're going to go through a couple more of the games. Uh, we're going to talk about college football, though. So let's flip over to college football. First, uh, actually, and not first, but second, actually, uh, genitorial things. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is probably a little too uh, late in the podcast to be saying this. Uh, you know, if you if you're first year, this is your first time. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, please leave a rating if you would not mind. Hit the follow button so you you know, whenever I upload a podcast, but more often than not, I upload podcasts uh, once a week, Tuesdays at 6 p.m., give or take, late afternoon Tuesdays, late evening Tuesdays is usually my day. Um, if I Last week, I uploaded on a Monday because I was going to be gone, obviously, to, to England, so that was a little bit different, but most of the time, it's going to be Tuesday, late evening, late afternoon, that sort of thing. So, um, But if that does happen and I'm posting on a weird day, make sure you hit the follow button. You'll know instantly when I post. When I'm on the when I'm on the old Spotify or when I'm on the old Apple Podcasts when I post, so I'd appreciate that. Thank you very much for tuning in. If it is your first time, and all my returners, all my return listeners, thank you very much for tuning in once again. I'm glad to have you back here on the show. So let's talk. Let's talk some football. First off, college football it was a busy week. Um, it was basically chalk one through ten. Um, Nobody really looked bad. Nobody looked overwhelmingly positive, you know, and like I said, it was chalk. All the teams that won should have won in the top 10. Um, only thing I would say, Georgia? Is Georgia better than they were last year? That's the only thing I would say. Uh, their de- their defense probably, I mean, not as good as it was last year, but their offense, uh, I would say definitely better than it was last year. So does that equal a better team than it was last year? Possibly. I would say Georgia is playing a schedule that is... Better than everybody else, at least through the first couple of weeks, has been uh, has been so far. Uh, Georgia, they had one non-conference opponent that, you know, that was an easy win for them. But they played uh, Oregon at the start of the season, and Oregon just beat the beat the crap out of BYU. 25th ranked Oregon beat, beat uh, BYU, 12th ranked BYU, 41 to 20. And Oregon, or excuse me, Georgia basically ran away with that game against Oregon at the start of the year. I can't remember what the score was. I think it was like 48 to 7 or something like that, 49 to 7. Uh, but it was, you know, not really a game after the first after the first few quarters. And Georgia ran away with that one. They just played South Carolina, an SEC opponent. That was another, I won't say a big test, but of course, SEC games on the road, always somewhat of a test. Uh, but Georgia made it look like it wasn't a test. They won 48-7, to dominated completely once again. And uh, their offense looks even better than it was last year. And uh, I mean, obviously better than it was last year, but their defense doesn't look doesn't look better than it was last year. Obviously, their defense was historic last year. Um, but I think combined, I think it's possible that we have a better Georgia team than we had a year ago, which is saying a lot considering what we got from Georgia last year, especially defensively combined. I would say this might be a better Georgia. Stetson Bennett, their quarterback, at the very least, looks like he's making a Heisman push. Uh, it is, you know, I'm doing overreactions at this point. It's three weeks into the season. Like I said, I said this, you know, earlier for the NFL, but even for college football, a lot can change. Who knows what's going to happen in even two weeks time. So we'll see. But Georgia feels like uh, even, you know, in front of second ranked Alabama, it feels like Georgia is far and away the best team in the country, better than Alabama, better than Ohio State and so on and so forth. Better than Michigan, a lot better than Michigan, a lot better than Ohio State. The only thing that, you know, could maybe bite them, it feels like is 
uh, a good offense kind of taking them on a boat race and that could bite them, I guess. But even then, I mean, their defense feels like they could stop that. Uh, I could I could count on a Georgia defense to stop an opposing team at least once. You know what I mean? So it feels like Georgia is far and away the best team in the in the in the in the country right now. Uh, and, you know, ranked number one, obviously. So at the, at the very least, they've gotten that part right. Um, but the rest of the top 10, it was chalk. Um, like I said, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, surprises or anything like that. The only thing I would say was interesting was uh, for the top 10 anyways, Arkansas, they're in the top 10. They uh, scraped away from a game from Missouri State. Uh, they were losing at halftime 17 to 14, but they picked it up in the fourth quarter and were able, uh, the second half, but mainly the fourth quarter, scored 21 in the fourth quarter uh, and were able to pull away at home against Missouri, Missouri State uh, 38 to 27. So that was the only real um, question mark, I guess, heading in to, or after this first slate of games in the top 10. But Top 25 was interesting. The rest of the top 25 was a little bit more interesting. Uh, like I said, uh, BYU, 12th ranked, got slaughtered by Oregon on the road. 25th ranked Oregon, 41 to 20. Wasn't necessarily all that close. Uh, they ran out to a 21, 28 to 7 lead in Oregon did, I believe, or 21 to 7, if I remember correctly, one of the two uh, by halftime. And by then it was basically all over. Um, so yeah, Oregon, uh, BYU, obviously a team that Wyoming is watching as well because they're coming up on the schedule. I believe it's this week. They play BYU on the schedule. So that is an interesting situation. We'll see if BYU is going to have a bounce back game in them or if Wyoming can kind of capitalize on a, you know, recent loss uh, team, a team with a recent loss. So that's coming up this weekend as well for the Cowboys, a big game with BYU. So we'll see if they can capitalize on that. Another couple other games that happened this weekend, Texas A&M versus Miami and what I call the overrated bowl, two teams that are drastically overrated. In my opinion, Miami came into the game 13th ranked in the country. That seems like a lot. Okay, let's relax a little bit. Okay, Texas A&M, they had just lost to Appalachian State. They were still a top top 25 team. Don't know how that works. I don't think they're a top 25 team. And uh, it was a boring game. Uh, it kind of felt like a, a game that proved my point, I guess, a little bit. Uh, both teams didn't look great on either side of the... I mean, defensively, sure, but neither offense was uh, good at all, I would say. Both offenses were not very good whatsoever. Um Miami attempted five field goals, made three of them. Final score was 17 to nine. There was one touchdown scored, or excuse me, two touchdowns scored, both by Texas A&M, but uh, it was a boring game. It was not a fun game to watch, especially coming off a uh, a fun game. You know, if, if you were watching, you know, Big Noon, there were a lot of fun games to watch, and uh, this game to conclude the night was not necessarily one of them, especially for a game that was on the, uh, the it was the, you know, the ABC game or whatever the, the uh, I can't remember what ESPN calls their Saturday night football. It was their Saturday night football game, and uh, this was the 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 collection that they could come up with, and it was not it was not that great. So those were the ranked highlights. Uh, but actually, I forgot I forgot to mention one. Excuse me, Washington, our good friends to the Pacific Northwest. They upset eleventh ranked Michigan State. A big upset. I mean, Washington Washington rolled eleventh ranked Michigan State. It was thirty eight to twenty nine. It was basically a bowl, a blowout. Uh, the Huskies led that game thirty nine to fourteen as well before. Um, Michigan State scored two scores in the fourth quarter to kind of make it at least somewhat respectable, but it was a blowout for Washington State. Michael Penix, 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 an unfortunate name. Michael Penix Jr., 401 yards, four touchdowns, hung 38 on Michigan State. It was a big upset for Washington, and they are ranked now in the AP Top 25 poll, and rightfully so. That's a big upset, almost a top 10 upset. Michigan State was, like I said, 11th ranked, but, you know, uh, they slid after that for sure. 
And I believe they slid out of the top 25. They did. They slid out of the top 25 after that loss. You can't really get blown out like that, even if it is on the road by an unranked team and expect to stay ranked by the next weekend. So, or by, by the next week. And finally, let's conclude with Wyoming. Uh, a good game for Wyoming. A good win for Wyoming. Uh, Air Force, I think probably the better team all in all, I would say up and down. Uh, but, you know, whatever works, Cowboys were able to hold a triple option team like that to 14 points. They were able to win that game. It was a good game for the most part for the Cowboys. They didn't get, I would say, the passing game going as much as they would have liked. This was one of those games that were two offenses that have very similar identities. Obviously, Air Force, not necessarily you know the same thing as Wyoming, but uh, both love to run the football, and that's what they did. And they ran the football a lot. Uh, Cowboys ran it 35 times. Air Force ran it 40 and um, Cowboys only threw the ball 23 times. Air Force ran it or threw the ball 14. So they didn't. Uh, the Cowboys did not get their passing game going as much as I probably, you know, as much as you probably want to see. But you know, if you're an old school football guy, then that was the game to watch this weekend. It was 17 to 14, and you know, it was a, it was a slugfest, if they, as they say. Um, but Cowboys did get some, you know, good attempts. 5.1 yards per attempt per rushing attempt. That's pretty good. 180 yards total on the ground out of 342 total yards. They were. They were, uh, you know, uh, at least a somewhat a balanced attack. Now, granted, uh, they were somewhat they were somewhat a balanced attack, but you would like to see more out of a passing offense, like you saw last weekend, I would say. But, you know, a good win nonetheless for the Cowboys. They have a big one coming up against BYU. Like I said, BYU is now ranked. Let me see here. BYU is now ranked 19th in the country after their loss to Oregon this past weekend. So, a possibility for a ranked win here for Wyoming. We'll see in which direction that kind of affects them. BYU coming off of a loss. They are at home. Uh, as it stands right now, it's you know early in the line. Obviously, it's still Tuesday, but BYU is 22.5-point favorites. Um, so, I mean, again, they are at home. It's a late-night game, too, 8.15 p.m. kickoff. So, we'll see what the Cowboys can do. Cowboys, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not limiting. I'm not saying this is a complete, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not chalking this up already for a, a win for BYU. Wyoming has impressed these past few weeks. I mean, you know, very much so. Northern Colorado game, you know, you can kind of you can kind of chalk that one up. I mean, it's it's an FCS game. That's a game they should win regardless. But uh, a surprisingly a good win against Tulsa, a surprising win I would say against Air Force. And now you know they're coming and rolling against BYU per se. Obviously, while BYU is coming off a loss, so we'll see if Wyoming can kind of put it all together, get a good win against BYU, maybe avenge a little bit of, especially in the national spotlight, I'd say avenge. A little bit of that loss between uh, against Illinois from the first week, and now it kind of feels like they've emerged them a ri- They've rise to, like a phoenix from the ashes, if you will, to see if they can kind of um, erase that erase that image from the national spotlight that they gave themselves against Illinois. So that's probably the goal against this BYU team. If you can win this game against BYU, you are in a very good position. Four and one uh, to start the season through five games. That's a very good start to the season. If you're the Cowboys. And uh, if they if they beat this BYU team, even three and two, if you lose to this game, if you lose this game, probably a game that you expect not you know you don't want to say expected, but probably a game that a lot of people expected to the, to this team to lose. And if they're able to win this game against BYU, you'd be feeling pretty good. But even a loss, three and two, not terrible to start the season. Um, two losses that I think a lot of people would have expected. And you're winning the important games if they lose this game against BYU. I don't think they'll win this game. Twenty two and a half. Point dogs does feel like a lot, especially with how Wyoming plays. Uh, they love to run the ball if they can keep at least the time of possession in somewhat of their favor, uh, you know, and just continue to kind of 
gash BYU running the football. And, and you know, BYU was very susceptible to Oregon's run game um, last weekend. So it's something that might favor the Cowboys regardless. And 22.5 point favorites for BYU seems like quite a bit. An over-under of 50, that seems probably right, to be honest, for both of these teams. Um, but that 22.5 line... That seems, you know, that's, I might be plating some money on Wyoming cover, at least at the very least cover that. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Cowboys. That's college football this past weekend. It was fun. College football is fun every weekend. Uh, we got a Hail Mary from Appalachian State. That was fun to watch against Troy while game day was there, too. So it was a lot of fun. Fun, a fun, a fun weekend of college football. And there's only more to come, more to come this next weekend. So we'll see what happens across the college football landscape as we get closer. Um, now we're going to move on to. The NFL. It was a good week for NFL, too. Like I said, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria like Ghostbusters. Uh, it's been, it was a weird week uh, for college football or for uh, NFL as well. Uh, we had a 21 point comeback by the Dolphins, a 20 point comeback by the Cardinals, and a 13 point comeback by the Jets, of all people, against the Browns. We'll talk about the Browns in a second. The Browns fans, they are. On one, uh, we're talking a little. We'll talk a little bit about morality of Browns fans. Some Browns fans. I'm not going to paint the whole point. I'm not going to paint the whole picture of Browns fans as bad people. But man, some of the pictures that are coming out of Browns tailgates are questionable. Um, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but let's talk a little bit about football. Twenty-one point comeback. We'll start with that. Dolphins. Who saw this coming? I think I. I won't say anybody really saw it coming, but they got Tyree Kill. That was a great pickup for them. Jalen Waddle looks like that kind of guy as well. And uh, when they got Mike McDaniel, the guy that came from San Francisco, I think a lot of people kind of had an idea. It was at the very least going to be a different type of offense, which is uh, something that Miami has kind of needed for a long time. It's not, it feels like it's something they've kind of been searching for as a team for a long time as well. So uh, when they got Mike McDaniel as their head coach, head coach, it kind of felt like that was the shift that was on, you know, kind of looking that they were looking to get. It looked like they were getting it from the right tree, if you will, the right coaching tree, if you will. And, uh, I mean, this game didn't necessarily start like that. They were down 35 to 14 entering the fourth quarter, but an insane comeback from the Dolphins that led to 42 to 38 being the final score with the Dolphins victory. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa marched the Dolphins to four, four fourth quarter touchdowns, including two heaves to Tyree Hill and the game winner to Jalen Waddle with 11 seconds left to end the game 42 to 38 on the final Baltimore possession. Lamar Jackson, Sail Mary fell short to uh, fall, fell short of Rashad Bateman and Tua Tunga Vailoa finished the game with 469 yards and six touchdowns. Hill and Waddle combined for 22 catches, 361 yards and four touchdowns. And the dolphins, the dolphins of all people are two and zero on the season Two good wins for the dolphins too. Not just, you know, not just, you know, wins, you know what I mean? A dominant victory over, the Patriots in week one, I would say for the most part. I mean, kept it a little closer than you probably would have wanted, but a dominant victory nonetheless over the Patriots. And this game, I mean, this game has the chance to kind of uh, march you through the next few weeks. They have a brutal schedule coming up. Um, and this uh, win like that has you has a chance to kind of march you through the next few weeks as an inspiration. I mean, because you know, go 35-14 in the fourth quarter. There's no way they come back from that. And they come back from it. And now you feel like you can beat anybody. You know, you don't want to get into the habit of going down 35-14 in the fourth quarter, obviously. But with that sort of confidence, it feels like you can kind of beat anybody. And to a tongue of Iloa, if he keeps playing like that, 469 yards, six touchdowns, did throw two picks, but 36 of 50, 469, six tutties. I mean, if he's throwing the ball like that, you could beat anybody. 
Tyreek Hill had 11 receptions, 190 yards, two touchdowns, and Waddle 11 receptions, 171 yards, and two touchdowns. I said it already. They combined for 361 yards and four touchdowns as wide receivers. So, unreal game. If you're watching this game, you know, it was kind of, I mean, it was bonkers. It was kind of insane how how much space it felt like the Dolphins were getting. Now, granted, the Ravens uh, DBs, they had a couple of, I think they had four of their starting DBs out, so it was a lot of backups and a lot of guys that were running out of gas towards the end, and if you're running out of gas against guys like Tua Tunga, or excuse me, against uh, guys like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, that's a recipe for disaster, and disaster, it was indeed. Um, Dolphins pull one out. It was tr- It was an awesome game to watch. It was, you know, feels like in the NFL, it comes up with just new ways to surprise you every single week of every single year. You think you've seen everything, and then you get games like this where it's like, how did that just happen? Especially against a guy like Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson, granted, he had a good game. 21 for 29, 437 total touchdown, or total yards, and four total four TDs as well. So it's not Lamar Jackson's fault by any means, obviously. 35 to 14 should be enough to win you a game entering the fourth quarter, bar none. Uh, I, I'm surprised the Ravens didn't sign his extension right after that game, to be honest with you. Because uh, that was an MVP level performance that just happened to be on the wrong side of history. So that was one game, and then we got another game that was going on at the same time between the, between the Jets and the Browns and the Jets. The Jets of all people were on the right side of history this time. They were down thirty to seventeen with two inside inside of two minutes left in the fourth quarter before Joe Flacco of all case. Cats and dogs living together. Joe Flacco was back. He's back to the, the Jets have a quarterback, and it's a guy that's like 38 years old and should be retired. It's Joe Flacco. He tossed two touchdowns. And Flacco hit Corey Davis on a long ball before New York swiped an onside kick as well with 22 seconds on the clock. Flacco found rookie Garrett Wilson for the game winner, and Flacco finished with over 300 yards and four touchdowns. I know, I know that Broncos fans were probably upset, scratching their head. They were probably like, where the hell was this Joe Flacco when they had him as their quarterback? And here he was. He was just waiting to get with the New York Jets where he would go 26 for 44. Not the most efficient, obviously. 26 for 44, 307 yards and four tutties. I don't think we've seen a Flacco game like that in years since Ravens days, I would say. And uh, here it is. It's all backwards. The world is uh, the world is crumbling before our feet. We're watching Joe Flacco come back from the depths of the depths of backup hell to become the new New York Jets savior of all of all people. Joe Flacco will be the, the Jets savior to come back from uh, from a 30 to 17 deficit with inside of two minutes left in the fourth quarter to win the game against the Browns. And you know what? I'll be honest with you that game for the Browns. I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to so discontent for the Browns players necessarily. I'm sure it sucked for the Browns players. I like most of them. I think a lot of them seem like good people. You know, I like a lot of the Browns players. Miles Garrett seems like a really fun guy to be around. Other than that incident with Mason Rudolph, I mean, that was, you know, that was questionable judgment on his part, but he seems like he's made up for it, I would say. Uh, you know, the rest of that team, I don't have any, I don't have any sour judgments towards them, but man, watching the Browns fans do the surrender Cobra on the sideline, especially the Browns fans that had like their own makeshift Sean Watson jerseys and whatnot, um, have the surrender Cobra after losing to the Jets, um, having, having the Jets of all people come back from you inside of two minutes in the fourth quarter. That felt good, mainly because of what we see, what we saw the Browns fans doing in the parking lot in terms of their overwhelming support. This is just how I'll call it. The overwhelming support of Deshaun Watson um, in the midst of what's going on with him. So what I'll say for, I think, fans of 
any of anybody. Um, you can still be a fan of somebody and not support um, their actions, I guess, if that makes sense. You can still be a fan of the Browns, okay? You can still be a fan of the Browns, no problem. You don't have to, just because you're a fan of the Browns and Deshaun, Watton's, Deshaun Watson happens to wear a uniform now, does not necessarily mean you have to support Deshaun Watson and what he um, has done, I guess, uh, has been accused of doing. Uh, you do not have to necessarily support that, I would say. And the Browns fans, a portion of them, not all of them, obviously, I'm not gonna not gonna paint them with all that, that, that the entire fan base with that brush, but a portion of them have decided that this is the hill that they want to die on, per se. You know what I mean? Um, that Deshaun Watson did nothing wrong, and we're gonna stake our claim in saying that he's a good, you know, a good person, and he did nothing wrong. And I think that's, you know, that's questionable judgment from those Browns fans. You could be a fan of the team. No problem. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to. So just because you're a fan of the team that is wearing this person's colors or the person, the player's colors, who's they're wearing, I guess. You don't have to support them on their misgivings and misbehaviors, I guess. Perfect example. I'm an Oklahoma fan, Oklahoma football fan, uh, University of Oklahoma fan. They have an offensive coordinator by the name of Jeff Levy. Um, Jeff Levy, he is a uh, one of the top offensive recorders in the uh, offensive coordinators in the country. Um, one, of, you know, he he's going to be a head coaching candidate uh, once his time sort of comes. I guess is what I would say. Um, but he was around the Art Bryles offense um, back in Baylor, and if, you know, everybody kind of knows the Art Bryles story and what happened to Baylor because of it. And I won't go through all of that, but it was, you know, uh, hiding of sexual assault and sexual misconduct between the players and that sort of thing. And uh, Jeff Levy has come out in defense of Art Bryles and his um, hiding of those scandals. I'm an Oklahoma fan. He is my offensive coordinator. I can't change that necessarily. Um, I will be an Oklahoma fan. I won't be a Jeff Levy fan. Uh, I will never ask for his autograph if I ever saw him or anything like that. I'm not necessarily going to, I'm not going to support Jeff Levy in any of his press conferences that he comes out and comes out with, or comes out in, uh, and uh, speaks out to the, to the media or whatever. I'm not going to support Jeff Levy per se. Am I happy that his offense is producing great numbers so far? Absolutely. If he were anybody else producing those numbers, I would want them instead of Jeff Levy, if that makes sense. There was a direct duplicate of him that had not done this. I would prefer that person over Jeff Levy a hundred times out of a hundred. So you don't necessarily just because he is on your team wearing your colors per se, you did not necessarily have to uh, be okay with what they have done or their misdoings or their misbehaviors. Okay. I'm not a fan of Jeff Levy whatsoever. Uh, don't personally don't like him. He has created a, a fun, an offense that has been good for Oklahoma, uh, an offense that has been good for the Sooners so far. Um, but I would never, you know, I don't think I would shake his hand in person. I would not go up to him and say, or can I have your autograph? I would not do that in person whatsoever because I'm not a fan of him. I'm a fan of his concept. It is, you know, it is a, a, uh, a classic representation of separating the artist from the art. That is kind of what you have to be able to do. And as a fan, you have to be able to kind of do that too, especially, especially for football. Football, it is a, it is a land, it is a landfill of people's, um, you know, misbehaviors and, and, uh, 
and uh, discretions. That is that is the game of football, especially in the NFL. NFL, yeah, the NFL especially college football as well. Sometimes um, that is something you have to do. Now, granted, Art Briles—that's a different story. Art Briles—he messed up. I won't be. I'll never be a fan of Art Briles. And Baylor kind of has that uh, has that that uh, stain on on the university for a while now, just because of that's how that you know Baylor became a pro a, fo- a good football program under Art Briles. Now that they're a good football program, it's still a good football program. They will probably continue to have that stain. That is just kind of how it is. Now, Dave Aranda, the head coach for Baylor, obviously he had nothing to do with those situations and you should root for Dave Aranda because he's uh, all in all a good guy and he's fun to watch and he's cares about his players and that and so on and so forth. So you have to be able to kind of separate that and you should be able to separate that as a fan. If you're a Browns fan going into the parking lot, um, you know, holding up the free massage signs and that sort of thing. Uh, Deshaun Watson did nothing wrong signs. You don't have to do that. Uh, you know, you just be a Browns fan. Just be a fan of the Browns. You don't have to necessarily be a fan of Deshaun Watson. It becomes a lot harder, obviously, um, because of the fact that he's your quarterback. You know, basically everything is going to run through him, and that's where you kind of have to make a decision. I'm not going to make that decision for you, obviously. Uh, I don't know how I would react in that scenario if uh, a quarterback of my favorite team, I, you know, a quarterback of my favorite team would, would be in that scenario. I don't know how I would react. Sean Watson has not shown any sort of remorse for the victims. He's come out and said he's sorry for all the people he's hurt, quote unquote. I mean, that's not necessarily good enough, in my opinion, um, because, you know, you're going through this because of these people, not just the people that you've hurt. Um, so be specific about it if you're actually remorseful instead of just putting out a you know a, 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 a statement that makes it sound like you're actually you know the very bare minimum of remorse is what it felt like when he said that so um yeah I, I all in all if you're a Browns fan root for the team you don't have to root uh, you don't have to be in favor of your quarterback's um behavior because he's wearing your colors okay you can you have to you can you can switch that up a little bit you know you don't have to like him just because he's wearing your colors you could have the somewhat, you know, critical thinking to be like, I don't necessarily like him, but I like the team. That's okay. I don't have necessarily have anything wrong with that. Um, now, granted, it becomes a little bit more difficult as well because the ownership has kind of not been great for the Browns either. So I don't know. You get into a whole a whole thing for moral conundrums when it comes to this whole Brown situation and Deshaun Watson and everything. But what felt good for me was watching the Jets beat them on Sunday. And come back, uh, come back against them on Sunday. That was a good feeling for me, anyways. Uh, watching the surrender Cobras as a pan, as the camera panned around, around, um, around Cleveland Stadium, and seeing all the surrender Cobras. That was a good feeling for me. I was, I was, I genuinely, I cracked a smile. Not necessarily for all of them, but the surrender Cobras that had the the, the Sean Watson jersey. I was like, okay, <laughs> you deserve that, and that felt good. I liked that. That was that was nice. Uh, that was uh, that was that was a good feeling. Go Jets! I was feeling. I was singing the J E T S Jets 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 song after that. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. I kind of went on. I went on a little bit of a rant there for Deshaun Watson, but I, I ran into it. I felt like I'd get to it, so we're gonna move on a little bit more here. Uh, we had another comeback, twenty point comeback this time from the Cardinals. Uh, Kyler Mur- Kyler Murray and the Cardinals overcame a twenty to nothing deficit to beat the Las Vegas Raiders on a fumble return TD in overtime, twenty nine to twenty three. Uh, Arizona scored two touchdowns with two two-point conversions in the fourth quarter. Murray ran for both scores in overtime. The Cardinals forced a fumble at Byron Murphy, ran it back for six and the win against the Raiders. Another question that I feel like we've been asking since the dawn of time as well, are the Raiders any good? 
I don't know. All right. I mean, they're 0-2. Uh, two pretty close losses, one to the Chargers in week one, and then obviously this one in overtime to the Cardinals. Are the Raiders any good? I really don't know. They have, it feels like they have the pieces to be there. They have a very solid defensive line. Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, I mean, mainly Devontae Adams is a stud. Derek Carr, well, you know, we'll see. Um, but I don't know. I, I really don't know if the Raiders are good or not. It, it it feels like they can come and go as they please. The Raiders, it feels like, are as close to the team as the Vikings are right now in terms of they can be really good some games. This is very good insight for me. They can be very good some games. And then it feels like a completely different team on other games. And this kind of felt like that game for the Raiders. Raiders should have wrapped this game up. twenty. They were up 20 to nothing. Should have wrapped this game. This game should have been over. The Cardinals were already reeling. They suffered a really bad loss, a brutal loss against the against the the, the Chiefs in week one, where the Chiefs just demoralized the Cardinals uh, basically from the beginning. And, I mean, Raiders had a chance to kind of step on their throat, and they didn't take it. And... I mean, this it's a bad loss for them, period. Um, another thing I would say out of this game is Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray, if you didn't watch the clip of Kyler Murray in the, I, I believe it was the first two-point conversion, if I remember correctly, in the first two-point conversion, he runs around in in that pocket and evades tacklers for like 20 seconds, for like 20 to 25 seconds. I read somewhere he ran a total of, or I guess kind of like scooted, and a total of 84 yards in just those 20 seconds because he was scooting around looking for an open receiver and then finally evaded a tackler and scored a rushing touchdown before he, because he couldn't find anybody open on the two-point conversion and scored the two points on basically running it in. Is there anybody that can do that in the league other than Kyler Murray? Lamar Jackson is the other one I would say, and I, I wouldn't say he can necessarily do that. I think I think Lamar Jackson more has the tendency of if the pocket collapses entirely, he's going to run it. Um, I don't think he has the the twitchiness, I guess is what you could call it, that Kyler Murray kind of has to evade people on a dime like that. And then Kyler, he obviously has a a lot less of a tendency to kind of run the ball that Lamar does. And Kyler, if he's he'll just sit back there until it feels like he has literally no time left, and then he'll go and run. That's what Kyler does that I don't think anybody else in the league really does. It reminds me a little bit of, and this is a bad comparison because Kyler Murray's infinitely better than this person I'm about to name, but it reminds me a little bit of Johnny Manziel, especially Johnny Manziel in college. That felt like that play right there that Kyler Murray did in that overtime, that felt like a Johnny Manziel at AM against Alabama. That's what that felt like. Um, but there's nobody in the NFL, I don't think ever, that Kyler Murray does in that, uh, what Kyler Murray did on that two-point conversion. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in what he brings to the table in that sense. And I wish he was in a better offensive scheme, to be honest with you. A lot of the stuff that he's around. I think Kyler Murray is a better quarterback than we give him credit for because of the scheme he's around. Some of the throws he was making were unbelievable, and he makes a lot of really effortless throws, uh, especially deep balls, where he looks like, uh, similar to Josh Allen, not as strong of an arm as Josh Allen, but similar to Josh Allen, where it looks like he's just flicking it down the field and hitting spots that nobody could have hit. Uh, other than him and a few other people. I, I just wish that he was in a more inventive scheme, and a more inventive offense than he's in. If he was in, you know, the the Chiefs offense or somebody like the or like the the Niners offense, offensive scheme or something like that, I feel like he would be putting up a lot better numbers and his teams would be a lot better. But, you know, you're only as good as the scheme that's built built around you and Kyler Murray, in my opinion, unfortunately, has a less than stellar scheme that is built around him. And that's why I think um, he's been less than, and his teams have been less than great since he's been there. So 
He just signed his extension, so he's not going to be changing teams anytime soon. We'll see if it gets any better for him. I think it will. I mean, this is a great win for them, a great comeback win. Again, it's similar to the similar to the Dolphins, where it's kind of one that can propel them going forward uh, after that really bad loss in week one. A win like that in week two is something that can really move you forward uh, the next few weeks in the season. So we'll see what happens with the Cardinals. A great win. We'll see what happens with the Raiders. I have no idea what they're going to do. They've already lost two games, and in the division they're in, that's you're kind of signing a, a death warrant at that point. Like the Chargers, the Chiefs, um, and the Broncos. The Broncos, though, we'll, we'll get to them in a second. Um, but it kind of feels like you're, you're, I mean, you're really grasping a straw. You have to be very good to get to back to the top of the AFC West um, if you're the Raiders. So we'll see what happens to them as well. Now let's talk about the Broncos a little bit. The Broncos, ooh, boy. Um, wow. Uh, very disappointing. The Broncos look like, uh, I don't know what they look like. Uh, very uh, questionable, to say the least. Uh, a very uh, uninventive offense. Russell Wilson hasn't looked very good. Um, he got boo birds from the uh, from the the uh, Denver faithful at home after starting. I can't remember what he started, but it was not good. Um, it was not good after those first few months. Fourteen. Uh, he went fourteen of thirty one total uh, for two hundred and nineteen yards with one touchdown and one interception. Uh, he did have multiple big time throws according to PFF, but the Bronco the Broncos offense uh, it looks very disjointed. They just lost Jerry Judy. I don't know for how long, but he got hurt in that game, and um, it's very prone to shooting itself into the foot which has been uh, very bad. It's been a very bad game, a very bad, I, I don't know, uh, scheme as well from the Broncos. It's been boring, uh, very uninventive uh, from Nathaniel Hackett, and feels like this has kind of been the same situation for a lot of the um, Rodgers Rogers offensive coordinators that have come from the Packers. Um We've had those issues before. Joe Philbin was one of them. And, you know, we, there's numerous others that you can go down the line um, where their offense, their offenses seem more inventive because of a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who kind of just makes a lot of stuff happen around him um, and makes everybody better around him. Obviously, he hasn't necessarily done it as well so far, but with a guy like Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, guys like Devontae, Devontae Adams on your side, you're going to make everybody look better, obviously. Um, but Aaron Rodgers having him as a quarterback will make everybody look better for the most part. Um, and I, including offensive coordinators, in my opinion. And I think that's kind of the situation we're running into here where, I mean, Hackett's had some very, 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 very abysmal things going on around him just in terms of offense. And then, you know, the stuff that happened in Seattle with just terrible game management that happened, it creeped up a little bit in this game as well with some very bad game management. Um, it's not like this game was necessarily, uh, you know, the Broncos kind of getting screwed, I guess is what I would say, or shooting themselves in the, I mean, they did shoot themselves in the foot, but it didn't feel like it was overwhelmingly that. Uh, they outgained the Texans, yes, a 350 offensive yards to 234. Uh, yes, they had more yards per play, but they also had 13 penalties for 100 yards. They have the most penalties through the first two games in NFL history. I believe they have 25 or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know what you expect if you're a Broncos fan, to be honest with you. I think, I don't know if they're going to fit. I mean, Russell Wilson, he's still a very solid quarterback. He's still very good. You know, I, I think he should be able to figure it out. Uh, I think eventually though, I think it's going to be more him kind of doing the Aaron Rodgers thing where it kind of feels like he's inventing stuff out of thin air. That's what it kind of feels like. He's, and Russell Wilson's going to have to start doing unless Nathaniel Hackett starts getting a little bit more inventive in the play calling that he's 
he's putting forward and um, the schemes that he's putting forward because uh, it feels like the Broncos can't necessarily get out of their own way right now, and it's going to end up causing uh, costing them uh, the division, possibly. Like I said, and same thing with the Raiders. You can't really go down very much in this division very far, or you're never going to catch up. You're never going to catch the Chiefs. Uh, the Chargers look as good. Not as good as the Chiefs, but someone, maybe possibly somebody that can go neck and neck with the Chiefs in the division at the very least. And um, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what happens. The Broncos, man, I... I very disappointed in them so far. Uh, Russell Wilson has not looked very good. I thought he was somebody that you could really plug and play into kind of any situation and make it a super, a, a championship contending team, I guess. But so far, that has not proved correct. Um, and it's only two two games, obviously. It's only been two games. So we'll see what happens with the Broncos uh, come week three. I don't, I don't have who they play in front of me right now in week three. but. We'll have to see what happens there. I believe they have the Sunday night game on in week three, if I remember correctly. They do. They play uh, San Francisco. San Francisco is a one and a half point favorite in that. So leaning a little bit towards San Francisco. Speaking of San Francisco, they had bad news that turned into, you know, they're happy they kept kept Jimmy Jimmy G. Uh, Tree Lance, he's out for the rest of the season. He broke a couple of his ankle and I think messed up a couple of his tendons and ankles as well. So he's done for the season. And then Jimmy G comes in against the Seahawks and, you know, tosses a pretty good game for the most part, I would say. And uh, they're the the San Francisco 49ers are able to roll the Seahawks in that game. And now Jimmy G, he's back from the dead, if you will, back up, uh, back from the, you know, similar to Joe, uh, Joe Flacco, back from being a backup from a backup in backup hell. And now he's back being the starter again. And we'll see if the 49ers can kind of continue that weird roller coaster of emotions that they were bringing forward these past few years where it felt like, you know, they were a wild card team, but when they get into the playoffs, they could be super dangerous. That's what, that's what it's been the past few years. And now all the chips are kind of put back into that situation where Jimmy G can kind of not necessarily take over, but at the very least game manage the 49ers back into a playoff berth. Um, and that's kind of what they're going to be hoping to do at this point. So, We'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with the Broncos. They have a lot of, lot of, a lot of questions that need to be answered. Um, well, I mean, Jerry Judy got hurt in that game against the Texans. I don't know what his status will be. Patrick Sertain, their star cornerback, I would say, already got hurt as well in that game. We'll see where they end up. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I don't know what to expect from the Broncos anymore. I'm not betting them by any means that they could. I mean, with Russell Wilson as your quarterback, you can kind of explode for you know, 40 points, or you can do what you did against Seattle, which is, you know, run the clock into uh, a possible overtime situation and then miss the field goal or or a game winning situation and then miss the field goal. And uh, then you lose. I mean, that's just, you know, it feels like it might be one of those teams, which sucks because I think a lot of people, me included, like I said, if you get Russell Wilson felt like you kind of chalk yourselves in as a favorite to get to a championship, but that doesn't look like it is becoming reality so far for the Broncos. So we'll see what happens with them. Um, but that's the NFL. That's football from this past weekend. A couple other news and notes really quickly. Buccaneers finally got out of their own way against the Saints in the regular season. Uh, we had a cool little scuffle between uh, Mike Evans and a couple other guys. Uh, Marcus uh, um, Lattimore. I'm, I'm, I can't remember. I'm blanking on his name. Um, but blank Lattimore for the Saints. They got into a scuffle. Almost a big fight. That was cool. Uh, Tom Brady looked human against the Saints, but he was able to pull one out winning 20 to 10. The Colts, I mentioned it a little bit already. Uh, probably the mis- most disappointing team so far this season, I would say. Um, 
very disappointing uh, again against the Jaguars. They lost 24 to nothing. I thought personally, I said this a little bit at the beginning, I thought personally Matt Ryan was going to be the answer for the Colts. I thought that was going to be another guy like Russell Wilson that you could kind of plug in and you immediately become at the very least a contender to make the playoffs. But the Colts have looked bad so far. I mean, they were bad against the Jaguars. It looked like the Jaguars had the Colts playbook and they knew exactly what they were going to run and they couldn't do anything on offense. And uh, I mean, the Jaguars, they looked good, but against it felt like a bad team. So I have no idea what to take away from either one of those teams or either one of those games or from that game in particular. Um, I don't think the Jags are necessarily a good team, but maybe a team that can make some noise, I guess, possibly. Um, We'll see. You know, again, week two, it's all been bonkers. Uh, Bengals look bad as well. Bad O-line. Joe Burrow is on the vert. I mean, it looks like he's probably going to get hurt again just by how many times he's getting hit in the pocket when he's, he's stepping back to pass. And uh, yeah, the, the Bengals look bad as well because of their offensive line. You can't be getting beat by Cooper Rush and the Cowboys if you're looking to repeat and get back to the to the title game um, and getting you know your quarterback getting hit for God knows how many times so far this season and expect to get back to the title game. So we'll see what happens. Week two, it's kind of, you know, we're two weeks in and it kind of feels like it's anybody's game except for the Chiefs and the Bills. The Bills look unstoppable right now. That's my takeaway from the Bills. They dominated the Titans on Monday Night Football. I think it was 41-7 to the final score, and they completely dominated the Titans. Not like they completely, do- you know, not necessarily dominated the Rams, but dismantled the Rams for sure. Um, and the Bills look like they're playing with a purpose, if that makes sense. I mean, you know, They lost to the Chiefs last year in their divisional round. A lot of people were upset about the overtime rules and stuff like that. And now the Bills, it looks like they've taken that to heart. And they were like, okay, we're just going to leave nothing up to chance at this point. And we're just going to beat the hell out of everybody until we meet, you know, whoever we need to meet in the playoffs and get to the the big game. That's what it feels like the Bills are kind of doing right now. And I I would not be surprised to see the Bills in that big game uh, come February. Um, But we'll see what happens again. Week two. It's overreaction season. This is what we're going to do literally every week until the end of the season, up until week 17, and we're still overreacting. So, um, but that's football from this past week. A lot of fun stuff going on. A couple baseline, uh, baseball storylines as well. Uh, Pujols, I think he's two away now. As of Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, two away from 700. Judge, I believe, is one away from 60, if I remember correctly. And uh, the season is slowly coming to an end there. We'll talk a little bit about that next week, give or take. Um, depending on how crazy the season or the the football weekend is, but we'll talk about that a little bit because playoffs are slowly approaching. We have a, we've had a couple of clinchers. Uh, I believe the Mets clinched, uh, the um, Astros clinched as well, and um, yeah, a couple other clinchers coming up as well for the next week. I would say so. We'll see what happens there. The Dodgers clinched as well. So um, yeah, baseball storylines heading into next week and the playoffs are coming up. So we'll talk a little bit about that next week as well. But I think for this week, that is going to wrap up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please remember to follow, give me a rating on the old Spotify, Apple podcast. Listen to me anywhere you want to listen to me. Spotify, Apple podcast, Google podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to me there going on the road or whatever you can listen to me on whatever podcast is a podcast station or whatever you call it podcast platform you want to um i would greatly appreciate a rating and i greatly appreciate a follow thank you very much for tuning in uh, i have been your host james timber james timberlake and you have been listening to the weekend sports rap podcast